Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, so we had the ISM number uh, come in a little bit of a disappointment there. Um, the jobs number was a little bit of a disappointment too. 431,000. We were looking for 490, although still um, solid, robust is the word BN used. And we had an upward revision last month. But as Katie, as you pointed out earlier, the uh, twos, tens still inverted. Is it still inverted? Still inverted. OMG. Sarah House joins us right now, senior economist at Wells Fargo Securities. Sarah, we are terrified now because, you know, the yield curve was able to predict the pandemic before we even knew COVID existed. What is it telling us now? I've told us little about the potential for a recession over the, the past cycle or so, especially given the Fed's involvement in, in asset purchases. And I think one of the things we learned from today's employment report is that even as we have some moderation and growth, momentum overall remains strong in the U.S. economy. So I think there's still a, a lot more growth to be squeezed out, uh, out of the economy before we need to get too worried about recession fears right now. Okay, so growth to be still squeezed out of the economy. What about the labor market? Because again, headline disappointed. Uh, there were definitely some bright spots in there. Net-net, what is your takeaway? Net-net, I think this is a still solid report. So, yes, it was a little bit lighter than expectations, but, you know, only by roughly 60,000 versus the Bloomberg consensus. So that's not a big miss in the grand scheme of, of the post-COVID recovery. And I think importantly, it showed that we still have pretty decent momentum. So you have to remember this is a much cleaner read on the, the underlying trend in hiring. So in January, that number was boosted by some really favorable seasonal factors, you know, February was likely reflecting a, a bounce back of, of the Omicron wave that was hidden by those, those favorable seasonal factors in January. So we're still seeing a, a real solid pace of, of hiring. And importantly, it's still strong enough to keep that labor market tightening, even as you have more workers coming back into the labor force. Yeah, we see wages up 5.6% year over year. I, that's a number I like to see as high as possible, Sarah, because I love it when uh, people get paid more. But are we going to start hearing people worry about a price wage spiral? I think, if anything, some of those fears have, have abated a little bit over the past couple months. So, yes, you're seeing wages up 5.6% over the past year. But if you look at what the, the recent trend is, so over the past three months, Average hourly earnings have increased at a 4.5% annualized rate. So we're actually seeing a little bit of moderation. And this fits with the fact that while overall demand for workers remains really strong, the, the pace of increase in, in that demand has, has really leveled off. Um, so, you know, from, from an outright standpoint, demand remains strong, but it's not increasing without abandon. And so I think that's keeping employers perhaps a little bit more um, they're they're able to to perhaps um, not to raise wages at such a frenzied pace and and hopefully prevent that uh, that wage price spiral from taking hold. As, as let me ask you, can be so so dangerous. Let me ask you kind of a political question: um, Are the wage increases keeping up with inflation? I mean, it's not really a political question, right? It's a matter of fact, depending on which indexes mm -hmm. you look at. 
Yeah, I'd say that's more of a mathematical question. So whether you're looking at the, the PCE deflator or the CPI, on an average hourly earnings basis, no, they're not keeping up for, for the typical worker. But I think you have to take uh, take into consideration the fact that we've added so many jobs over the past year. So we've added 6.5 million jobs. And so when we look at the aggregate income being derived from the labor market, it is enough to outpace inflation. And so that's limiting uh, or at least blunting some of the impact of the, the fiscal support that's dried up and, and what that means for real household income um, over over the coming months. So it is certainly tight for, you know, for individual workers and individual households, but in terms of the aggregate um, income picture, the fact that we're adding so many jobs is, is supporting the overall income outlook. Well, Sarah, I am going to ask you a political question since we are w- awaiting remarks from President Biden on today's numbers. Curious how you think the administration uh, is probably reacting to some of the figures we saw this morning. So I think, uh, as I said, I mean, overall, this is a pretty decent report. So we see that the labor market continues to tighten. We're getting more workers back into the labor force. So that's signaling that they they are able and and willing to work. And so I think this is this is still strong, strong report, even if we did see that that pace of hiring temper versus versus the, the past few months. And we'd expect that pace of hiring to to slow as we get into a more mature phase of of the recovery. Sarah, um, just just uh, looking at inflation here, looking out, are you sanguine that it's going to come back down as we get into, um, you know, as we get into the base effects of what we saw at the end of last year? So the base effects will certainly help, but I think it's still going to be pretty painful over, you know, the next year, year and a half or so. So we're still looking for the core PCE deflator. So, you know, kind of level setting with with the Fed's 2% target. So we still expect that to be around 4.5% at the end of this year. So while we're probably close to a peak um, here in the next month or two, a lot of that depends on just what happens with oil and and gasoline prices, we're still looking at a, a pretty painful rate of inflation for consumers and for policymakers for that matter. All right, Sarah, great to get um, your insight. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure talking to you. Sarah House there, senior economist over at Wells Fargo Securities. I am sitting in the Interactive Brokers studio with four unmasked people. It's amazing. It brings a tear of joy to my eye. Um, Lisa Abramowitz and Tom Keene in here, a Bloomberg surveillance fame, Katie Greifeld, She'll be famous someday. Oh, no, she's famous. No. For Bloomberg ETF IQ. That's a show that we co-host together, actually. Well, thank you. Every Monday at 1, 1, 1 p.m. PM. It's in the middle of surveillance nap. <laughs> I uh, had quite a, rudening, a rude awakening, I should say, last right week. You guys are all uh, apartment dwellers, right? You all yeah. live in the city. Yeah, yeah. I got a gas bill for $550, natural gas, for the month that I wasn't really counting on. And I just oh, thought, this is serious oh. stuff. Yeah, that, that kind of thing can throw a real wrench into your finances. And yeah. the reason I bring it up is because uh, overnight in the UK, the cap was lifted on the natural gas um, for residential customers. Their bills are going to go up more than 50% overnight. That, for a lot of people, can drive you into poverty. That yeah. can cross the line. And this is what we were talking about earlier, which is the new inflation is, frankly, a memory for those with a bit of gray hair of the frenzy we lived in where it was item to item. I looked at cheese pizza slices today 
but it, like you say, it's utilities as well. And certainly every report we have from Europe is, is grim is the appropriate word. And not just Europe. In Sri Lanka, I saw there were uh, um, riots. People gathered around the yeah, palace. Well, that's a social issue. In Indonesia, this is really serious. And this is where you get into this word controls where you have price controls and such. And it goes back to, Lisa, this goes back to Japan and YCC, yield curve controls. Yeah. It is institutions trying to control whatever cards are dealt. And right now, the big card is inflation. And then, of course, how much people are getting paid and how that dovetails into it. In other words, can they afford it? And okay, if they can afford it, and this is sort of the big fear, does that mean that companies will just keep jacking up prices more? I mean, yes, you're getting the like. That's the spiral, right? That's the spiral. I I wonder how much of this average hourly wage growth real people see. I mean, how many times a year do you get a raise if you're um, an hourly worker? Actually, you know what? I will take the other side of that. There have been a number of reports about how Amazon, other manufacturing uh, kinds of jobs, other areas where there's scarcity of labor, they're actually getting quarterly raises there wow. are even some places you're starting to see uh, a doing away of the annual review and a more regular uh, pace of increases in uh, order to keep a up doing so- away of the annual review that's music <laughs> to my ears no but i mean i i've heard of this tom i mean honestly i i we hear about it all the time and how much wages are going up i mean just i have like a daily review with al from new jersey is it include it's a raise daily. does it include no a it does not <laughs> most definitely not I'm lucky the badge works the next day. You know, it's, it's been a crazy march. It's, it's truly an historic quarter. And as I said to Lisa eight hours ago, the measurement of uncertainty into this April is, is we're, we're where we were in January. We have no clue what's coming. Well, I just am concerned about the inflation. And a, a, a client wrote in this morning and said, could this be, you know, the beginning of a new Arab Spring where we start to see real uh, social strife? When it comes to rising prices, Hold on a second. I, imagine if you're imagine you're in the UK, you're someone barely above the poverty line, and all of a sudden your monthly gas bill, okay. which you have to pay to power your uh, appliances and heat your home, goes up fifty percent. Let's not conflate all inflation as the same, right? The Arab Spring is partly because of the idea of Ukraine and what's going on there with the wheat output. The idea that a lot of that goes directly to Northern Africa, goes to some of these areas uh, that are less privileged. So you're going to see wheat prices surge. You're seeing oil and gas prices surge in certain places on the heels of what's going on. In uh, all, with, all places, with right? In all places. In the U.S., it is a unique story because there also is wage inflation. There's also positive signs and it's stemming not just from the stagflationary shock that we're seeing out of Europe and, and I think that that's an important distinction. There's not much stag going on. We had 14.5% nominal GDP last quarter. This quarter will be half that. Uh, I like what Neil Irwin said over at Axios in the hour. He said this is a boom economy. It's a boom economy. For everyone? No, it never is. But look around New York City right now. I mean, rents are ridiculous. The home price. I, I, Lisa, I can't get used to home prices. Are you buying? No. That's also not the case. It's also not just a U.S. problem, right? That's a, another problem that you see, at least in the U.K. and in Germany. Um, the, I think prices rising are more painful than maybe you think, even if wages are coming up. And I think... Um, when I, when I hear about the boom economy, I wonder okay. then how come recession odds are so high for next can, can year? Can I ask Katie Greifeld a question? Please. Yes, please. Katie, the path for yes. those younger is you live with four people in Chelsea or the Lower East Side, 
and then you live with two people, and then there's that big jump where you live with yourself. Someday I'll live in Brooklyn if I'm hip and cool and, and all that. Is that broken with this New York City inflation, you that know, path? It's interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend my age. We graduated. It's okay. It's surveillance. You can say, I was having a conversation in a bar with a friend of mine. Okay, continue. We were actually at a rooftop bar. It was lovely. It was <laughs> the weather wasn't as terrible as it is now, but <clears throat> she moved to London after college to work at a bank over there, and she would like to come back to the U.S., but she was saying, I am almost 30. I don't want to live with a roommate. Are you ready for this? But that's the only way that I can live in New York. I can't believe... I say, I'm saying this. Paris was cheap. Yeah. Well, I can't believe Europe I'm right saying now. that. Yeah, well, Europe that, right now. That was her point. My quality of life <clears throat> in London is so much higher than it would be in yeah. New York. It's this just is a huge deal expensive. for Mayor Adams. Yeah. It is. It's very true. I you mean, went, you left the city. You went I just, north. Well, look, I just moved from Berlin Can where childcare is free to Scarsdale where it's going to cost me three grand a month to put my kid in a basement, you know? Oh, cry me a river in Scarsdale. I mean, in all honesty, okay, this is like, you know, top tier. Here we go. But Do you know point, you just hit the Bramo okay. third rail? Well, hold on a second. I mean, as somebody who raised two kids in the city and dealt with uh, struggles, go. I will be honest. You're right. You're not wrong to bring this up. So I'm not, I'm not undercutting this issue. There is a larger point here, and this is what I'm wrapping my head around right now. So I apologize because you're all my guinea pigs and what I'm trying to think about. But that actually... What are the biggest good things that could happen in the U.S. economy that could keep the boom economy that you're talking about, Tom, going? Would be if profit margins shrank. Mm. Basically, if companies paid employees more and then just took it out of their profits rather than passing it along to consumers. So you actually got a better living because you're not paying that much more. But we see from the earnings reports that they are passing Correct. it on to consumers. Exactly. And the ones yeah. who are being rewarded in the stock market. So. Well, I mean, the stock market, basically, it's the, the stock market's not the, not the economy and vice versa. And if the stock market's benefited, the economy's lagged behind. Are we seeing a reversal of that? Not quite yet, but could we? Tom's looking at me like, go just jump off a bridge. I don't know if that's going to be a good thing. If she said that with me and Pharaoh early in the morning, we'd be apoplectic. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just, I just am uh, surprised by the optimism here. Let's bring in Rebecca Ray right now. She uh, joins us from the conference board where she is executive vice president of human capital. Rebecca, let me first get your take on the jobs number. Um, What does it mean to you as you parse through the data? Good morning, and thanks for having me. Um, You know, I I think it's very encouraging. We've got another strong report. We're closing the gap on the number of jobs that we lost uh, since the pandemic hit us, and I think all of that's very encouraging. There's some very bright spots, I think. We've got a a tightening labor market, and people who want to to work are having, uh, I think, some some good luck in in finding positions. You see wages rising in, in many industries. So, I think there's a there's a, a great deal to be to be pleased with, but I think that the point that you just made, um, some of that may be mitigated by rising inflation, and so that's that's going to play that's going to play into this as well. And Rebecca, on the topic of the labor market, uh, the conference board has a new survey out on work life balance struggles, and I want to hear about this. What your findings? found because it's been an interesting labor market in that it took a long time to fill that hole in employment because, you know, we're, it feels like workers have had more say, more power. Uh, but what, what did your survey find? 
Uh, yes, so we just um, are about to release it today, and um, I'm pleased to, to share a little bit about what we found. You know, I think in these last couple of years, certainly everyone has had their own particular reaction to, to the events of the world and what they did in terms of their work arrangements. But um, there were many who were very concerned that during that time, the, the work and the life, um, the boundaries got very blurred. And some of that hasn't necessarily shaken back out. And in fact, some of the concerns that we, uh, that we saw uh, among both those who are um, fully remote and those who are uh, and, and hybrid, you know, sometimes in the workplace and sometimes not, as well as those who are full-time, they're all a little concerned about blurred boundaries. I, I think the, the balance, the pendulum will swing eventually, uh, but I think a lot of people are concerned that the advent of technology, regardless of the way in which you work, uh, is going to mean that people are going to expect the continuation of being always on, always available. And particularly for those who are fully remote workers, that's a real concern. Yeah, because remote workers, we hear often that they um, put in more time um, than those who come to the office. How does this return to work thing then pan out, Rebecca? What do you think? Are we just looking at a hybrid model for the future? Do we ever go back to the old days of you just come in from, you know, eight to six every day, uh, five days a week? How does it? How does it turn out? Yeah, I, I think most uh, most of us begin to feel that we're going to be in a hybrid situation of some type or another for a very long time. I think the game has permanently shifted, and I know that uh, in this latest uh, survey, uh, those who are millennials in particular are very concerned about the increased cost of commuting. Uh, many workers are, have found that they they made great strides in work life integration. And they're reluctant to give that back. Now, you know, companies will argue that they need to come back to the workplace because they're concerned about, um, you know, the absence of networking and building relationships, that it's going to have an impact on collaboration, that their culture will suffer. I think those are all valid reasons. I think employees, workers tend to agree that those are some really valid reasons for going. Mm. But I think we need to begin to think about the workplace, the physical workplace, as sort of the way we used to think about an off-site. You know, you planned for an offsite. You knew when it was happening. There was a reason to go. You had expectations about what was going to be accomplished. Give workers a reason to return to the workplace. It isn't simply about returning to the way things were or checking a box. Make it about celebrating your accomplishments or understanding a new product launch and how you're going to be successful in the marketplace. Make it about developmental opportunities and be intentional about it. Give give a, a really good reason for coming back, not simply let's just get back to normal, because I think those days are gone. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. Great to get your insight, as always. Rebecca Ray there, Executive Vice President at the Conference Board. Let's continue to talk about the jobs numbers then with uh, Tom Gimble, founder and CEO of the LaSalle Network, one of the leading staffing firms, the uh, uh, um, biggest staffing firms in the country. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. I got to ask first about um, the people you're placing. Are they getting paid a lot more? Well, they're getting paid more. There's no doubt about it that the, this market is what people are seeing is talent is hard to come by. There is a labor shortage. We have yet to place anybody for $212 million. That would be quite a feat. <laughs> um, but, but overall, we're seeing it. You know, it, it's, it's not, Usually you say, oh, in the tech space, developers, uh, elite salespeople, things like that. But in this market, people are getting 5 to sometimes 20%, 25% increases when they make moves. 
And are they also demanding Tom to work from home or to be able to um, or to not be required to go to the office five days a week? Well, that's the interesting thing is now more and more companies are moving away from fully remote and looking for people who are within a commuting distance for some sort of hybrid. The, the more unique the skill set or uh, in high demand an individual is, the more preference they have. But we're not seeing that to be a big deal. What you are seeing is people won't even listen to a job. If so, There are people who want remote so badly, they won't even listen. It's not something that comes up in the negotiation. If you're going in to interview for a job, you're under the assumption that usually it's going to be a hybrid uh, at the very least, unless they're telling you up front. So what is this report then? If you step back, Tom, and look at this report from the 35,000-foot view, um, how does it look to you? It looks fantastic. If I would have said to somebody a year ago uh, that 12 months later we'd have our 12th consecutive month of over 400,000 jobs, unemployment would be at 3.6%, and uh, the uh, wages would be increased and the participation rate would be increased, everyone would say, sign me up for that program. And if the economist had predicted 400,000 jobs instead of 500,000, we'd be doing backflips, right? You know, the, the, the economists get to, get to judge statistically what they think will happen. And us on, on Main Street, we're actually doing the heavy lifting. And this job market is still as good as I've ever seen. And we're seeing the CEOs I'm talking to every single day. They're, they're not worried about the Ukraine. They're not worried about Russia. As far as what's going on, they only have one fear, and that's inflation. And and that's where I think we should be really focusing uh, our concern domestically. Yeah, I mean, um, it's okay for now, I guess, uh, as as companies pass on inflation to consumers, they're able to increase wages. But how long can that last? Yeah, you're going to be in a, in a real tough situation. I, you know, I don't want to be the doomsday guy. I think we're going to be in a really good market for the next 24 to 36 months. However, you get people that are renting places and buying places uh, based on an inflated salary, and you hit a real recession. And what we had in 2020 wasn't a recession. It was a blip. You know, 2001, uh, 2009, those were recessions. You get that situation, people aren't going to be able to uh, pay those rents, and people are buying uh, above their means. So I do worry a little bit about an inflation uh, that continues at this rate. Uh, and it's got to it's got to impact um, commutes as well, right? This is something that I guess employers, uh, uh, or at least many employers, are paying. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, Matt, because what you have right now are people that want to work from home or they want subsidies to come in, but then they also want their Walgreens to be open twenty four seven. They want the, the the stores to deliver all the time. They want their products on the shelves. They want their athletes in spring training. You know, white collar workers have a very um, selfish view from time to time about what should be remote work and what shouldn't be. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if we want society to come back, we want inflation low uh, at, a, at a lower rate. We've got to make sure that we can get the dry cleaners back open in the sundry stores and, and, and people going back into the office because that goes to auto repair shops and keeps the gasoline prices lower and, and all of those things that fuel the economy. So you can't you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah, you should see the, I mean, the stores around here in Midtown Manhattan, which is an office society uh, or, an, or an office culture, half of them are still closed. It's just unbelievable yep. because, 
you know, the entire workforce that used to supply all these delis with their revenue um, has just stayed in Long Island, New Jersey, or Westchester rather than coming in and, and buying sandwiches. So, yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, what do you think about the possibility of a wage price spiral? Are you concerned about that? Are employers concerned about that? No, I don't think so. I think right now things are gonna things are starting to level off a little bit. It's going to be interesting because you know every May, June, July we've got recent college graduates that enter the workforce, and those salaries are a lot higher. It looks like coming out than they were a year and two years ago. Um, you know the the worst time to have come out was in 2020, right? Wages were really low. They've jumped up now this year that they're they're a lot more. But I, I don't think anything's going to be too crazy. All right, Tom, great to get your take as usual. Tom Gimble is the founder and CEO of LaSalle Network talking to us about the jobs report. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.